0: Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code podcast for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events.
1: This episode is brought to you by our friends at MyTake. Worried you don't have the most advanced research tech or that your partners won't be able to keep up with the speed of your business? My take is your answer. Their innovative proprietary insight community platform and team of fast and flexible researchers will ensure your organization truly integrates the voice of the customer into decision making. My take, tech forward, people centered. everybody it's Lenny Murphy here with another edition of the green book podcast thank you for taking time out of your day and sharing it with us and today this is actually we consider episode 18 how to generate useful valued insights and my guest is niece From niece welcome thanks for having me I'm excited to be on the show well good to have you so normally I would introduce you with your company but you are busier than i am so i'm not even quite sure what title and company to give to you so i'm going to let you carry that ball and uh and introduce yourself and tell our audience a little bit about you and 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 you got to mention all of the companies it may take an hour
2: but you know <laughs> it's, it's useful to do well you know my teachers told me from uh well they told my parents from a young age i had a attention problems so that's manifested for sure over the years yeah so it's, it's nice, to, uh, nice to be on the show. I, I started in the insight space about eight years ago, founding the company Feedback Loop, which uh, as many of your listeners may know, was recently acquired by Disco. And since then, I've worked on a variety of other businesses. Mostly I'm working on two businesses right now. One is a venture-backed company and one is a bootstrap company. And I'm happy to talk more about that. I'm sure we'll, we'll cover some of the lessons learned from those two. The venture back company is in the HR benefit space, so quite a bit different than Feedback Loop, but some similarities. And then the bootstrap company is in the technical hiring space. So kind of got more into the world of HR culture company building from a lot of the lessons I learned at Feedback Loop, and that's what I'm working on today. All
1: right. So I'm looking forward to, to diving into that a little bit more. The worlds do converge, don't they? So, mm-hmm. okay, we'll, we'll get to that. Now you spoke at IX North America, which was good because as I just learned, you're like down the street
2: from our venue in Austin. Yeah. (laughs) That made it easy. So funny enough, the talk I was supposed to give was before the pandemic was in 2020. Right. And I lived in New York and we had feedback loop. We had a big office in New York and Then I think it got postponed to September of that year, and then a year later, and then I got the invite like six months ago. Like, hey, do you want to still give the talk? And I was like, well, funny enough, it's across the street now, so I can't say no. And I still love the Insight Space, even though I'm not directly in it day to day. So uh, it was it was really cool. It was my first in person conference of the decade, so that was pretty cool.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad that we were your first. Quick note: Welcome to Real Life. I have a yard crew. That's here, and I hear the approaching sound of the blowers. My apologies to our listeners; it, it won't last long, but it unfortunately here we are. So, just know that's there. Nothing we can do about that. All right, but your IEX talk does kind of get into this—the uh, focus here for this conversation because you really focused on the idea of product. And if I look at your background and the the companies that you're involved in, it seems as if focusing on building product has been a core area of expertise that you've developed in this entrepreneurial journey. And that's a relatively new concept for the research space. Now, we've always had companies that had products that Nielsen would cut in mind, obviously, right? Nielsen had very specific products. And in larger scalable companies for the bulk of the research industry, IRI, you know, these big giant companies, they had specific products. Now we are in a world where when we talk about product, it is primarily technology driven. And of course we've got a ton of businesses, you know, that are all building products. They're technology focused. But if I had to throw out a definition of product, it would be to take an idea, turn that idea into IP, and then finding a way to scale that IP across multiple buyers. That'd be my kind of off-the-cuff. And I'm, I'm using that very specifically because I think the concept of product is not always technology-oriented. It often is, and I know that's your background, but there's a, a deeper idea Technology is a means to an end. I would, I would say it's a way to deliver a product. It's a channel for delivery of a product, even though it may be baked into its DNA. But product is really about ideas, about ideation, right? It's about a concept, uh, at least in my mind. So first, am I way off base with that off-the-cuff definition? Does that resonate with you at all? And if it does, What's your learnings around developing products? So it seems like your entire career, uh, or at least the last few years has been wrapped up in the idea of building products, even feedback loop in its earliest incarnation at, as Alpha HQ was around product managers, right? It was a solution for, for product managers to get feedback and to, uh, to build off of that. And when I think about product. I would say that, you know, a product is taking an idea, turning that idea into IP, and then learning to scale that IP. And that has lots of different ways to do that. Technology is probably the dominant way that we do that today. But it's not always. It can be a service. It can be a concept, other components of that. Since you have been so focused on this idea of product, what have you learned about the product process of bringing a product to life what's your key takeaways
2: yeah i think it's a great question and your summary is right on but i want to unpack it a little bit more than that because you know if you walked through iex a a couple weeks ago in austin there's a lot of on-demand research companies right and feedback loop is one of them you know and we started that business as on-demand research but with the key twist of it being for non-researchers I think that was a key difference for us. We we built Feedback Loop for the product innovation strategy teams, the decision makers, the the folks building the products, uh, or supposed to be building the products, and not for the researchers who are supposed to inform how the products are built. And that was a key difference. And we learned a lot in that time. And the main thing we learned, and I think this is really relevant for how you define products, or at least how any organization might think about building products, is the notion of iteration. And this notion is is really brought out in this uh, letter that Jeff Bezos wrote to shareholders of Amazon uh, about a decade ago, in which he describes consumers as divinely discontent. And I've, I've loved this quote. So what he's saying is basically, as you improve your products or services, or in whatever industry you are improving your products and services, so are your competitors at either a faster or slower cadence. And as that happens, the consumers and the customers in your industry increase their expectations. So you make something better and you're like, finally, it's perfect. And then the definition of perfect goes up and you have to chase it again. And it's kind of this, I like the term leapfrogging that competitors do of one another to try to achieve this perfection in the minds of consumers, which of course they're divinely discontent and this is not possible and it's a never ending chase. And so I think the inverse of that is even more important. And the inverse is to say that the gravitational force on all products and services is that they are by default getting worse. If they're not getting better, they're getting worse because your competitors are getting better. And so relatively, your products are getting worse. And I think that's the key thing that researchers really need to internalize, organizations need to internalize, and that product teams, they know it really well, that the process of iteration, the process of improving the IP, the concept, whatever it is that needs to happen Otherwise your geo cities in my space.
1: <laughs> I didn't expect those uh, those examples, but they are absolutely appropriate. And and couldn't agree more. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a veteran free market capitalist by nature and I'm a big fan of Darwinism uh, as it plays out within business, right? A, a business Darwinism. And I think that's a healthy thing, usually. And I don't want to get into political aspects of that, but you know, competition is good because it makes us have to up our games, right? Um, And those expectations. And I think in our industry specifically, we've bemoaned these trends that I boil down to cheaper, faster, better. And to your point, the definition of better is constantly changing, right? There's so many variables that impact that depending upon who you're talking to and what is the business issue you're trying to solve and all of those things. But Fundamentally, those three core drivers are always in play, always, and we can't duck it. And complaining about it. it's not going to change it. It simply is. Right? We can adapt to that. And again, that that idea of where productization has been, I think, a bit of an alien concept in in the research space for for a while. That we had methods, we had tools, yeah, you know, but. Not many companies were productizing everything, were creating and codifying IP and then attempting to improve on that IP over time. But now that's just not the case. As you said, you know, good IX, and there's, you know, we're literally 100 companies there that, that all were very product centric businesses and we're all leapfrogging, working to leapfrog off each other to get to some greater place. And that's simply the reality of business. And we, we need to accept that. And there was a question in there for for a second, then it escaped me because I went off on my own soapbox and I apologize for
2: that. <laughs> I'll say one thing, actually, that you bring up. It's that, you know, often we'll make fun of something like MySpace or GeoCities and say, how did the, you know, where do these bad products and experiences come from? And I think it's exactly where you're saying with competition. Any product that in mass consumers have heard of was by definition, almost certainly a good product at some point. Otherwise, you would have never heard of it. It never would have made it into your hands, right? So it's not that there are bad products and services. There are great products and services that don't keep up with the times. And so that's the kind of competitive pressures. They didn't start as bad products. Otherwise, we never would have used them. Yeah, no, that's a great
1: point. That's a great point. And, and argue, so I love to take my kids through uh, a kind of musical DNA, musical heritage, right? They'll say, oh, I'm listening to so-and-so and I'll go through, you know, if it weren't for this band, you know, 30 years ago, that ban wouldn't exist. And it's exactly the same thing with the, with the product concept. I, I would argue with, without MySpace, Facebook wouldn't exist, right? And without Facebook, the next competitor that's going to squash them at some point wouldn't exist. So absolutely. Let's talk about the new businesses that you're focused on because there is a connection point here. So why don't we start with June? June is a venture-backed business in the HR space first tell us about it a little bit what attracted you to that and then we'll we'll drill into where the parallels are within insights
2: absolutely yeah so while i was at feedback loop and we were serving mostly again product strategy innovation teams at fortune 500 organizations you know we talk a lot about insights and insights are certainly the bottleneck to great product decisions and great products the other major bottleneck is great talent And that has been a struggle for years. I know we talk a lot now about the great resignation and labor shortages, but this has been a problem in knowledge worker industries for over a decade, two decades, right? And so I saw that kind of firsthand within Feedback Loop, how hard it was to hire and retain and then across our our customers. And that really led me, and, and there's a longer story there, but that led me to June, which is a company that really helps organizations prioritize wellness and well-being across their workforces. And helps basically companies reimburse employees for going to the gym or going to fitness classes, investing in their well being, mental, physical, financial well being, and really removed a lot of the friction for doing that. A lot of companies want to do this sort of stuff, they want their workforces to prioritize their well being. But unfortunately, a lot of HR tools are just add more friction. We say the, the benefits are often burdensome. And June took an approach similar to Feedback Loop. Just removing all the complexity involved in doing something. So feedback loop, the kind of key insight we had was that decision makers are not experts. They're not researchers, right? You cannot cognitively overwhelm them with information. If they have to do a crosstab, they're not going to do it. And they're just going to guess. So we really worked on kind of, I don't want to say dumbing down, but simplifying the data, like putting it in conversation format, digestible format. And very similar with June, this was a company where the founders uh, had a really clever idea of connecting to benefits recipients' credit cards. Instead of issuing them a new card, instead of making them upload a receipt, we'll just connect to their card and reimburse eligible purchases they're already making. And I thought that was really clever. And you know, now with 100 customers, it's, it's kind of manifesting in a similar way to Feedback Loop, where if you remove a lot of the complexity and a lot of the friction that gets in the way of people doing this aspirational activity they want to do, they'll do it. And so I think that's the kind of the common theme there.
1: That's very cool. Very cool. Now you mentioned it's also another company that you're working on that is in the broad category around kind of, you know, human capital management for lack of a better term. Let's talk about that for a minute.
2: Yeah. So that's Coderbyte. That helps on the uh, kind of the top of funnel there, which is a tool that helps companies interview and evaluate candidates. And I think there the problem was more on the go-to-market side than the product side. Products for this existed. They were just very expensive, very tedious. You had to get on the phone with a salesperson and go through like kind of an enterprise process. And we said like, hey, we got to remove friction from the buying and the onboarding. So there what we did was instead of building something where your CTO has to buy it, why don't we just build something where the recruiters can sign up, use templated assessments They don't need technical expertise. So again, kind of the same story here, removing complexity, removing friction, and just helping companies get to the value proposition quickly, which is interviewing candidates, identifying who's the best fit, which is, by the way, good for candidates and organizations. The number one complaint that candidates have about interview processes is that they take too long and they're constantly waiting to find the next step. They're okay being rejected just Send the rejection. Don't take two weeks to get back to them, right? This is like the most important, one of the top three most important decisions they have to make in their lives on a year to year basis. And so, uh, removing the friction and faster iteration, faster turnaround time, that's what we've done there. And and Coderbyte has grown to 2,700 employer customers. So, really kind of achieved a scale there despite being bootstrapped.
1: We're going to take a quick pause to highlight our podcast partner, My Take. Worried you don't have the most advanced research tech or that your partners won't be able to keep up with the speed of your business? My take is your answer. Their innovative proprietary insight community platform is redefining community capabilities with advanced features such as integrated online focus groups and experiences web UX testing. In addition, their team of fast and flexible researchers will ensure your organization truly integrates the voice of the customer into decision making. My take. Tech forward, people centered. If you'd like to learn more, visit mytake.com. That's my-t-a-k-e dot com. Wow, that is fantastic. So here's where my brain is going on um, connecting these dots with that explanation. And it's a, a kind of a broader, maybe big idea around a product. Right? So, <laughs> Even if we look at some of the products that Greenbook has tried to develop over the years, um, Savio, which was our talent marketplace, Veriglyph, our blockchain data data marketplace, I personally have been obsessed with the idea that the real market is not companies provide a structure to help scale IP, but IP truly rests in an individual at some level, right? And that collaborative process can unlock it and add to it and you know iterate on it but the individual is the core unit of value right and if we think from that perspective it is uh, as an individual i have a few intrinsic assets that i can monetize i have my time my experience my data which now exists and of course my labor which also kind of goes into into time and that all commerce is based on finding ways to reduce friction and unlock productivity around those four things at the individual level. And then those individuals come together and reform businesses, and it, it can kind of pyramid from that point. But fundamentally, economics is on driving that. So here's the question for you, based upon what you've been doing around, you know, solving specific issues around product development, around human capital management, around, or well, Helping companies help individuals to achieve, you know, health and wellness, and also on kind of the the filling the funnel through an assessment process for employees. Is there a thought that those things come together more aligned to kind of the, the idea that I just outlined, that we get to a point as a culture where these technologies are to help us productize the individual, but in a healthy way not in an unhealthy way, right? I don't, I, I think it's a hard way to say it, right? I don't think of myself as a product, but I do think of myself as an asset, right? So what what do you think of that? Lenny, just, Lenny you're crazy, that's stupid, I've never heard anything so, so damn dumb in my life, or what, what's your take as a specialist playing in these arenas?
2: I think you're onto something, and I would extend it a little bit further and, and maybe take a left turn somewhere in there, which is to say that, Well, definitely, I agree that the individual, and not even the individual, but there's always a precursor to the idea, like we talked about before, Facebook is kind of built on a lot of concepts from MySpace and Friendster. And so it's individuals on top of individuals, right? And all three of the businesses I'm working on uh, were not my idea. You know, they were someone else's idea. And I'm really my mindset and mode is more on the commercialization of the idea than on originally having the idea. It doesn't mean I don't have my own ideas, but I like the other ideas other people had better and felt I could put my time and and labor and experience more to commercializing those ideas. So I definitely agree on that. I would say the one way I would reframe it, and this is in how in how I decide what I want to spend my time doing is I fundamentally believe most people want to be productized, but not commercially, but like they they want to self-realize in whatever way they want, right? They want to live a healthy life. They want to find happiness and whatever that means to them. And it, it might mean through finding the right job and working on something meaningful. And by all means, that's a perfectly great way to self-realize, but it might mean something else. And so the the common theme across everything I'm working on is really that letting people get back to their life and whatever makes them happy. So if that means that they can do their job faster, better, easier, and then get out of doing their job, great. But if it also means making their job more meaningful, that's great as well. And and I do angel investing beyond even these businesses. I've invested in over 10 businesses. And that's a common theme they all have, which is using technology so that I can enjoy my life without technology better. I love that.
1: I love that. And, I, and thank you for adding some structure to this kind of nebulous idea that I was spouting out without much... Pre-thinking. But yeah, isn't that the ultimate goal of a product is to make life easier for the user of that product, for the buyer in some form or fashion, which probably its ultimate definition would be that it's something I don't have to worry about anymore. (laughs) You know, it doesn't need to take up my time, energy, labor, or at least it minimizes the impact of that because it's doing the job in a quality way that it performs the task that I needed to perform. And so I can get back to enjoying my life. So our our listeners may not be aware of this. Karen, our producer, is probably sick of hearing me about it, but I'll share it with you. So when we went to Austin, we drove to Austin, my family and I. And then we drove up through Oklahoma and through Missouri and Arkansas, and we drove through a lot of rural America, right? And somehow, and we did that in 13 days. We went through nine states in 13 days. And through that process of my wife and I and our, our three younger kids in the car, just driving through a lot of country, a realization occurred that we wanted to live a simpler life, right? Today, we live in suburban Atlanta and a neighborhood and, you know, swim tennis community, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, literally a, a week after we got back from that trip, we bought a farm in Kentucky, in eastern rural Kentucky. Now the, so here's the point of that. And yeah, so we're moving to Kentucky in July. And was this idea of there's enough going on in my life today via products that I utilize that I have more time to do things that I want to do to make me feel better as a human, right? That speak to that. And, And in some cases that is, it is simplifying those things. And ultimately I would say that's probably the essence of this idea of productization is to simplify. And now it's going to allow me to go be, you know, a gentleman farmer in the hills of Kentucky, <laughs> you know, um, not full time uh, by any stress of imagination, but and I don't think I'd made that connection on that drive for simplicity until this conversation about what's enabled it, right? What empowered the ability to make that decision is the focus on, building good products, good businesses that have eliminated friction in my life and have created more bandwidth. So now, so you, my guess is if you've invested in all these businesses, that's a piece of that equation for you as well, right? You're looking for things that amplify your bandwidth, that give you more opportunities to do more things because that's what you want to do, but not complicate this finite resource, which is you.
2: It's funny. I have a very similar story to you. Over the pandemic, so I, I've always uh, I've always said that, uh, and I heard this quote from someone years ago, was, why would I go outside? We've spent 2,000 years perfecting the insides. The pandemic really changed my mindset on that. I, I explored nature more than, in the last couple of years than I ever had in my lifetime before that. And we actually also, we bought a ranch in rural Texas, about an hour west of Boston. And we could only do so because of Starlink. It would not be practical for me to really enjoy a space like that in which I had really no internet. It was satellite internet out there, which you cannot do Zoom calls. You can't do anything. And that's not to say I wouldn't want to enjoy some peace and quiet, but it's not. Realistically, I would not get to spend a lot of time out there if I couldn't at least connect and catch up on some things. And Starlink makes that possible. And that's a great example of technology letting me escape technology more. And that's exactly, I think, what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. So it's not Starlink out there, but it's the initiative to lay rural fiber. So, I mean, I don't have fiber here in suburban Atlanta, but I'll have fiber at this farm in Kentucky. Right. So it's um,
2: funny how that works out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. We we digress, but these are, you know, these are big ideas, but they're practical ideas, right. That impact us at both a, a kind of a fundamentally human level, as well as from a business perspective, right. Cause this is where you know, business is not the means to the end. Or sorry, business is not the goal. Business is a means to an end, right? Business is how we we create compensation so we can do the things we want to do. And then it links back into this whole concept around products, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let's try and, and drill in a little bit more and bring it back to home. From your perspective of being outside the research space, but now being inside uh, or having an inside perspective, How do these insights that you've gained relate to
2: the researcher? Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes to this idea that the role of the researcher isn't to generate insights. It's to inform better decisions. And I think when you start with the decision instead of the insight, it's not just like a minor reframing it's it's actually pretty significant one of the things that when i talk to researchers or really talk to any organization they, you know i'll always ask like what are you working on what's the study you're working on and they'll they'll tell me they're doing this method and collecting this data and i always say like imagine the data says x then what well i don't know well imagine it says y then what well, i don't know you're collecting data you don't even like what it's so disconnected from any decision that needs to get made like so often like companies just think they need to drown in data because they think that's the solution. And it's like actually the opposite of the solution. You needed very little data. You just needed the right data at the right time. And drowning in it is the opposite approach of how to get there. And so I think when you start with the decision, which often isn't as lofty or as aspirational, it's not like, hey, what are we going to be doing seven years down the line? Are we going to like look at this whole new blank canvas and innovate? No, it's often like, are we going to insert more ads or fewer ads? Are we going to, you know, move this thing? Like sometimes it's aspirational, but often it's really not. Like product teams don't have this blank canvas to constantly just sit there and daydream. It's not mad men, right? So they've got to just move incrementally forward. And sometimes it's backwards and then you undo it. And so I think if researchers like get in the trenches and really see this and, and just realize that like it's an everyday iteration it would change their perception of what their job is quickly, and they would yeah. add a lot more value in the organization.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think about the. I was going back to Mark Pritchard from uh, from P and G, the same of P and G, who famously made the statement that their goal was to deliver, it was to have a one to one relationship with everybody on the planet in real time. Okay, now that's a lofty goal. I translate that in my head is that ultimately what that means is that you need to be able to deliver the right message to the right person at the right time, right? That would enable that process, which if we take that back one more level means then that's means around, it's the right data, right? It's the right data that's fit for purpose to address the business issue. So that concept of how do we, how do we achieve Mark Pritchard's lofty goal? Well, there's a whole bunch of different things that's help support that, right? But each one of those is a unique data asset that can help inform that process, that decision, and it's not—I've never liked the idea of personally of data lakes or data oceans. I understand the concept and I get the I get the value, but I'd much more—I'd rather think about data streams, right? It, it's a little more focused, it's a little more defined, and what does that ecosystem look like within that? Uh, so, right there with you, I think that's that's something we have to get comfortable with, and it goes back to the idea around products. It's easier to productize around a specific business issue that has a specific type of data asset than it is to, you know, well, my product is the data ocean. Well,
2: (laughs) I'll go one step further than that. How did that data ocean serve any business in March, 2020, right? What did it, like it immediately, all of it invalidated. You collected all this data and then overnight, everything you thought you knew about groceries versus delivery, movies versus streaming remote work versus in-person work completely changed and the organizations that had built adaptiveness and you know were nimble were able to pivot quickly and the ones that focused on drowning and data drowned
1: yeah yeah no that's a fantastic point you're right and and it hasn't stopped yet so here we are in q2 of of 2022 i am not aware of any any evidence that We've now reached a point where, okay, well, now, now we know, now we know. Like, nah, no, I, I don't think that's the case at all. We may, we may have a better sense of direction. So, but that's kind of all we have.
2: I, I saw this great tweet that was like, "I'm tired of living through unprecedented times," but, <laughs> no. but that's what it is. That's all we're ever going to live in forever are unprecedented times. So it's not to say don't collect data. You can't mine the data. I'm not saying there's no applications for machine learning. I'm just saying that like being nimble is way more important than collecting data historically.
1: Yes, it agreed. And and there's, a, there's something to the idea of understanding the, the broad outlines and the contours, right? But we're not necessarily going to be able to predict the details so so you get get just use 2020 as an example who could have predicted so many of the the chain of consequences of unforeseen consequences that continue to unroll as a result of that Yeah, you know, we could see there was going to be disruption yeah absolutely right and you can even imagine where those disruption where, where those things may occur but the details sometimes, it's like well, holy crap, I didn't, I never even thought about that. Baby formula shortages, geez, you know where'd that come from?
2: <laughs> you know? like, exactly, exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. So we could go on for a very long time, I think, and and I hope that we get another opportunity to be able to talk more because these are fun conversations, and I, I love just kind of blowing up these type of ideas with folks. So thank you. Well, let's drill down to the last uh, last couple of questions. So based on what we have just talked about, what is your vision of the future of insights? And I want to keep that being aware of your, your businesses around, you know, human capital and and other components that, you know, have an insights component. What does that look like for you when you think about the future and be able to understand people? Let's put it that way, right? What's that vision for you?
2: Yeah, I think it's a novel idea, but not my novel idea. I think everyone listening to this has probably heard the idea that like we're, we're going to just continue expecting things at our fingertips and i think that means a couple things it's not just speed it's not just hey we expect if i ask my research team for data i expect it today or tomorrow i'm um, like you tell me a month from now i'm gonna laugh like a month from now it'll be a shortage of something else with some other pandemic right like that's a month from now is another lifetime so i think it'll be the idea of fingertips but it'll also be the idea of like tools built for non-experts and non-experts, by that I mean very specifically the end user, right? Like I think that the the no-code movement is a really, really good example of this: of building tools for the person who needs the output of the tools, and not having to go to, you know, like LegalZoom as a great example. I don't have to go to a lawyer for basic information that twenty years ago I had to go to a lawyer for, and now I don't. I think we're going to see that in software development, in research, in marketing that the end user of the, the output can use the tool to generate the output and doesn't need uh, an expert doing it. Now, that doesn't mean there's no role for experts. I think actually the opposite. I think experts become more important because they can set up and configure these tools. But if, if a researcher is going to need to be involved every single time we generate an insight, I think that researcher and that organization is going to have trouble competing in the future. And instead, the organization where the product innovation strategy teams can self-serve in an ecosystem and infrastructure that the research team set up, I think those organizations are going to succeed. Yeah, can not agree more. can not agree more.
1: What's next for you in 2022? Besides spending more time at your ranch, hopefully, with, uh, with Starlink.
2: Exactly. Well, definitely more time in nature. So I'm, I'm going to be a dad for the first time in a few months. So Oh, I'm, cool. Uh, Congrats. Yeah, very excited. Going to be spending even more time outside technology. And so a lot of this has been in anticipation for that. So I'm excited, but we've got some really exciting products and features we're working on across the businesses uh, to really just do exactly that, like help people spend less time in software, help people do more faster, better, cheaper. And I'm really excited about the future of work. I think this kind of great reckoning happening, it's one of those, I don't know if the ends justify the means, but at least we're getting some really strong, positive results from the last couple of years of chaos. Yeah.
1: No, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And again, congratulations. As a father of five. Wow. The, uh, yeah. From 27 to nine. So four girls, one boy. So if you uh, have any questions, feel free to reach out. Right. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do another episode on father. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll just talk about you know, having kids. Do you know what you're having yet? I'm having a boy in August. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So congratulations. Thank you. All right. I want pictures. All right. So it's weird. Here's the thing. We'll we'll play off that just for a second. Having older children as well that are married, it's, it's in the foreseeable future that I will be a grandfather, right? So my, my love of babies has come back, but now with the idea that I can give them back this time, it's fantastic. (laughs) So, uh, so I'm looking forward to holding a baby and then saying now, here, you take it. I don't have to
2: change their diaper. You change their diaper. So yeah, it's a level <laughs> of exposure difference. Yeah,
1: it is. It absolutely is. <laughs> all right. So, how can people reach you and get involved with your businesses? What's the best way to uh, to contact you as the funnel to
2: your uh, to all of your endeavors? I've always complained to my parents about having such a unique name, but it does come in handy for this answer. You can. I, there's not a lot of nisses, and de- definitely zero other nisfroms. So you can find me on Twitter, or LinkedIn, with uh, that handle exactly NISFROM. Okay, that's awesome
1: this yes, thank you this is really a pleasure appreciate it uh, for our audience i know there was a little bit of background noise here and there welcome to real life it was on my end i do apologize for it though it's we're recording this on a friday afternoon and you know there's
2: life happening uh, hopefully it was L- less background happening. noise at the uh, at the farm i would assume
1: uh, well it'll be different right so uh, cows. yeah we're not going to have cows but there there will be roosters and goats and you know all of those things yeah You're the rancher, man. You're going to have the cows. You're going to have Texas Longhorns on that ranch.
2: My neighbor has them, so I don't know. They, uh, you can smell them from where I am, so I don't know how close I want them. But we'll uh, we'll see. Maybe goats.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of grass on our end, so I'm thinking goats would be a good investment because I don't want to mow it, Uh, even on a riding mower or a tractor. It's going to take a long time. Anyway, we digress. We could have a whole other conversation. That's our show today. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you to our producer, Karen Lynch, our editor, James Carlisle, and our episode sponsor, My Take. And thank you to you, our listeners, for taking time out of your day to spend with us. And we'll be back soon.
0: Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.